0: Just to be safe i don't want to assume everyone listening to this knows that i live um in philly philadelphia um which is also such a lie because if you know people from philly and you meet them anywhere and you're like oh where are you from and we're like oh i'm from philly like no what we're actually saying is we're from the suburbs outside of philadelphia because we're not like southern people where if we say oh i'm from a town um called churchville in bucks county or like whatever we would say people would be like oh my god yeah although a lot of people know bucks county i have started to say bucks county but saying philly is just a lot more fun because a lot of people who i've done ministry work with they're like you have such a philly accent and i'm like i have no idea what you're talking about so maybe i should get out there in the world more um, but it's so interesting, if you live in Philly, and and by that I literally mean the Archdiocese of Philadelphia, um, you hear this phrase a lot, like, um, we have people who will go to church so regularly, um, but it's an obligation, it's not a desire, it's not something they want to do, it's because... Their inner voice of their grandmom is telling them that it's a good thing to do. And even if someone in their family who was super Catholic passed away, out of reverence for that person, they make a point to go to church. Like the Catholic Church in the Archdiocese of Philly is more of an institution than a relationship with God. And a lot of people will say this phrase, you know, I have beef with the church or me and the Catholic Church don't have a good relationship and talking to people in the faith i hear this so much um and i hear it at an all-time high from teenagers and i just want to talk about it because it's a real thing we can't act like it doesn't exist and we can't be silent about it so as somebody who's just giving a personal opinion a reflection and personal experience of this same kind of statement that I used to preach. Um, I just wanted to give some insight, especially to those people who have fallen away from the Catholic Church. You know, you received all your sacraments, and sixth grade was graduation, and you left the church, and you thought, oh, I'm done with that. No one really taught me how to like bring that into my life, Um, which I will talk about, but if you listen to all my other episodes, I do talk about that. So I'm really just going to focus on this idea of, you know, I grew up in the Catholic Church, but... I don't go anymore. Or I got beef with the Catholic Church. We all know it. We all know the phrase. We've all heard it. And we're all really okay with it. But let's talk about it. I just want to preface a little disclaimer before I start this episode. Um, I'm speaking out of personal experience. I'm speaking out of conversations I've had with other people. My goal is to give you the desire to know what Jesus is really about and to be able to be smart enough to discern that the people you sit in the pews with on Sunday might not even know God. And and this is just the truth of the church that no one talks about enough. And if you haven't really gone to church or like read anything about Jesus, you are out of touch. And I think anyone who knows that they don't have a good relationship with God should be able to admit that because you are proof of the truth that God didn't force us to love Him. You know, when people tell me like, oh, I don't really have a good relationship with God, it's different for me to hear that because I'm like, my whole life is in a relationship with God. How does this person function? But these people have shown, like they have deeply shown to me when God created us, when He created our mind and our bodies and our souls, He didn't put in the manual of the human person, they need to worship me. Like, they will already have the capacity to worship me. He put that in us, but it's our choice to behave that way. And this is just, like, the most, er like, earth-shaking thing about God, in my opinion. We can respond to his love, or we can choose not to do so. He has gifted us with an awesome perhaps even terrifying capacity for freedom, free will, and liberty. We can choose to go do everything we want that's not going to church on Sunday or participating in the sacraments. We can choose to be mediocre, and in the Catholic Church, we believe that you choose to go to hell. And if you read stories about people who have had these like mystical experiences about the afterlife— Um, There's a lot of stories on separate occasions that document when God appears to you at the end of your life, he's going to say, like, do you want to be with me in paradise? And people have said no. So that's something that if I start talking about that, I'll really go off on a tangent. But we believe that you are the one who chooses the separation from God. That God is always proposing His love to you. Every day He shows His love to you in a different way. Um, It's really, honestly, our perception, our thoughts about it. If we're not giving thoughts to God, we're giving thoughts to the quote-unquote universe. We're giving thoughts to coincidence. And it's so interesting because I actually read in a book recently, the first... The first published Bible was in the Hebrew language, and when they made all the translations to other languages, English was actually the hardest to translate because the like beautiful poetic words that other countries and other languages use to express love and to express relationship, like English doesn't really get that far. We don't really get the the point of all the things that they were trying to communicate. and i I read that there's no Hebrew word for coincidence. There's no, like, anyone in the Hebrew Bible that tried to use the word coincidence, it was always God. Like, they didn't use the word coincidence. And when we translate something into saying coincidence, the Hebrew language was originally saying, by God's grace, by God's providence, by God's moving with us in the world. And and that's the that's the thing that's so sad, is that People will have these really supernatural experiences, but say the universe was looking out for them, and I'll just be like, that could have been a moment to increase your faith, and it didn't even have to be in the church. It didn't have to be, you know, whatever. So that's a, like, you are living proof that God did not force us to worship him. It is a choice. God did not force us to love our families. God did not force us to get married. God does not force us to do certain things in our life. And we need probably to start there as as an American culture. Like we, the wound of I got beef with the Catholic Church really comes from this, you don't know who God is and you think God is the people in the pews. You think God is the priest who maybe is a little bit more um, human and didn't really show you a good example of who Jesus is. But this is also what we can call idolization. You can idolize an institution, you can idolize the person who is dressed in the priestly outfit, you can idolize them, but they're still not Jesus himself. They're trying to, you know, spread the news, the message, and the goodness of who Jesus is, but because they are an imperfect human being, they will always fall short. And one of the teachings in the church is that, you know, Jesus was 100% human and 100% divine and what that means is he didn't sin he didn't have a corrupt nature he wasn't manipulative he wasn't insecure he wasn't wounded he wasn't operating out of his wounds he wasn't he was fully 100% healed 100% whole and 100% full of love and it's not really about you know people need to give me what I deserve and then I'll do miracles for for you. It was like, no, I believe in love and I believe that whether or not you have loved me your whole life, I will still pursue you because that's what I'm made of. And if you're not made of that, my whole institution exists so that you can get there because that 's what i 'm offering so that's that 's really what Christianity is in a nutshell, and like I said, one of the greatest tragedies is witnessing experiencing or going through something super supernatural and not allow, and not allowing that to change the way you think about God moving forward because here 's the tactic of the enemy, so we believe um, as Christians, we believe that Satan was perfect, he was an angel. But when God commanded the angels to praise him, the angels also have free will. And again, like I use the word command um, gently. It wasn't like a you should worship me. It was like, you know, they're angelic. They are these different beings who have this supernatural capacity to worship God where we have five senses. Um, So we worship God through our senses and song and dance and mass and they just worship God through this like like majestic angelic way and you know I think a lot of people know this but the devil was an angel and he chose to not worship God so he was like nope I'm not doing this and I'm gonna get the whole world to bow down to me instead and he's still doing that so we believe as Christians that's still going on because Jesus has not come a second time, back down from heaven. Um, Again, a lot of theology in here, but hang with me. And the thing about that is, um, that's what we call spiritual warfare, um, that there's a battle going on in the head and the heart and the soul, and that if we don't have the strength of our faith, we will fall for the lies of the enemy. And one of the lies of the enemy, well, there's a lot of lies of the enemy, and, and then a lot of them are bridged under, this thing called a catholic church wound because people grew up in the catholic church but it was more of an obligation than a desire or people grew up in the catholic church and their parents left a bad taste in their mouth about what it means to be a christian and they're like i want nothing to do with that like if you call yourself this christian and you boast about it and you post about it like i want nothing to do with that People have also gone through experiences of really hard grief and could not find peace with God in that situation, could not find peace in how the church handled the death of their loved ones, and that's something that if you if you are struggling with that, I suggest that you find a really trustworthy catholic priest, role model parishioner, person who works in the office, even just someone on social media like someone who has a brand or a platform where they um, speak about God. <laughs> hello, you you deal with it. You you ask questions. You talk about it. Um, almost go back to those memories and allow yourself to heal those experiences. Because here's the thing, and this is in scripture. There's a story of this man who had this disease and this illness for 38 years. Man, that's like half of his life, right? And for 38 years, he couldn't walk. He was just in this disease, embodying this disease. It was taking over his entire self. But he resided outside of this pool. And the pool, again, it was like a pool in your backyard. It was a pool in the middle of town. And this pool was a healing pool. It had healing water. And it was always said that when the the um, the um middle of the pool would spring up and sprout and it would overflow, that was when you had to jump in and get healed. And he would never make it. He would never get there. He would never get, like, he couldn't move fast enough because he couldn't walk, that he couldn't get into this pool quick enough and everyone else would get in there first. They would get healed. They would praise God and they would leave. So people depended on this pool to heal them. And if they couldn't get there, they wouldn't be healed. And this is the thing about the podcast that I'm really going to drive home is that when Jesus came to earth, he wanted to get rid of all of the influences that were so corrupt about God. He was like, are you kidding me? That's what you say about God? No, no, no. Let me tell you how it really is because I'm God and I can speak on his behalf. And that's a big theme of this episode is that we're going to see how Jesus really, expose the corruption of the influence of other people and he was like no this is wrong this is wrong this is wrong this is wrong so everything jesus did was countercultural. everything jesus did was like a shock to people who have said that they've worshiped god their whole life and then this guy comes in and he's like nope you're doing it wrong this is how you do it and they're like uh our whole life is a lie so jesus is Totally aware that this guy exists and he knows that he has been suffering for 38 years. And when Jesus gets to this pool and he encounters this man, this man is like, Lord, heal me, heal me. Just like anyone does, this posture of begging, wrestling with God. Like, can you just heal me? I've lived with this for 38 years. Can you just heal me? But God, who knows the hearts and the thoughts and the intentions and the motivations of other people, that's called discernment. We don't just assume everyone is begging for the right reason. Jesus knows. He's such a savage. I freaking love Jesus for this. Jesus is like, 38 years? Do you even want to be well? Because this man was carrying this spirit of pity, this spirit of victimhood, this woe is me mentality where he was like, oh, 38 years, no, I could never get there. No one wants to help me get there. I just, and Jesus was like, do you want to be well? Like, do you even want this? I can do it, but like, before I do it and just give you what you want, like a spoiled child, like, do you want this? And this is what Jesus's personality embodies is this purity and this justice and this truth where he's like, I'm not the guru who walks around like Rafiki from Lion King and just grants people wishes with this magic dust that I've concocted and poof, you're better. Like, I want to heal your mind. I want to heal your intentions. I want to heal what really is going on down there and, and what kind of things happened to make you think that this was an obligation or what made you think that you had to sit here for 38 years and couldn't go on with a meaningful life. Like, that's what we need to address. And he asked this question, do you want to be well? And a lot of us need to ask this question when it comes to a relationship with God and therefore a relationship with the church, like whatever has wounded you, do you want to be well? Because if you're the 38 year fallen away Catholic who has no interest to get back into it, it's because you don't want to address the thing that drove you away from it. And if you heal with friends and trusted people in the church and finding new parishes and finding new church activities to bring your questions to, to take to prayer these things that you need to heal— You, like any psychologist or any therapist would tell you, are repressing the pain, you're not free, and you don't have the capacity to have a relationship with God because you're holding that grudge, that lack of forgiveness to yourself or to God, that is necessary to move forward with this relationship. So that's really where we're at. Like, If someone desperately wants to build back their relationship with God, to build back a lifestyle of including church into their life, um, that's what needs to be addressed. And I, I want to talk about the few ways that I have been wounded by the church and the ways that um, I've rolled my eyes in the pews, the ways that I get annoyed at church ladies and church people, the way that the institution has burned me out, the way that, and again, I'm not I'm saying the institution, but it really came down to the fact that the people around me were were really wrong about God, were really wrong about what the church was teaching. Because I remember being 18, 19, 20 years old, reading the Catechism of the Catholic Church for fun, okay? Tell me how that works. That's just God working in me. And looking at the truth that was written in the pages of of God's message and being like, there's nothing wrong about this. There's nothing weird about this. This is truth. And especially when it came to God's plan for marriage and... You know, at that point in my life, it was the hookup culture. Everyone was hooking up and I really wasn't. And I was like, I just want true love. I want like a real love story. But like, I don't know what that means. And then like the catechism was like writing about how, you know, when you and your spouse have sex, it's... um renewing your wedding vows and it's this beautiful thing and it connects you and it's a glue and it keeps you guys together and i was like why is no one reading this so anyway the church is chock full of truth and sometimes you got to wrestle with the truth to get to the conclusion to get to the peace but again do you want to yes or no god knows if you want to and god knows if you don't so the thing about god is we can't outsmart god God knows what wound took us away from him, took us away from the church, but he knows that it's only when we come to him to address it that it's going to find peace. He's not going to forget about it. It's not like, oh, let me wait 15 years and see if God forgets about this. Like, you messing with the omnipotence. Don't you dare be doing that. (laughs) You can't stand a chance. But it's a beautiful relationship that if we, again, if you start with those one-on-one relationships with people in the church that you trust, people that you know, have a good relationship with God that you could maybe talk to, um, I would start there. And I think that that's a beautiful place to start because your your questions deserve to be answered, just like a, any relationship. You should do that investment and you should do that kind of work. But like I was saying, I, um, I definitely, especially being in the church from a young age, I've just seen it all. I've seen, you know, there were parts of seasons of my life where I would go to daily mass in college and I'm the only young person there, and it's all old people, and, you know, they got a lot to say. They have a lot of opinions, but what I had to learn sitting in church, you know, wasn't to sit there and judge them and complain about them, but it was a huge, I had to learn something really human that's applicable to your job, applicable to your family, applicable to all life situations. If you don't like what someone's saying, you don't. It doesn't have to take up mental real estate. Like it doesn't have to sit there. You don't have to dwell about it. You can roll your eyes and move on. But don't harbor that judgment. Don't harbor that frustration. Don't harbor that... You know, annoyance. And I remember getting to this point where I was like so angry and I was like, this is not who God is. And like, all these ladies and all these people are saying all these things. And like, God's not politics. God's not this. God's not that. God's not pray this novena 400 times a day and you'll go to heaven. Like, I just don't believe that that's God. So I had to really unknow all of that. And that took a, that was a process. That was a season of my life where I just really had to unknow. The ways that other people's mindset, the other ways that other people's influence was wounding me. And then the second thing I did was I made sure I was very particular about what I read and what I followed on social media. Everyone knows Father Mike Schmitz. There was a part of my life where all I did was watch his videos and only get answers about the church through him. Once all of that foundation really stuck with me and I really like liked learning from him, I began to realize that Jesus's personality really could be so engraved into a good priest, a good holy priest, and stuff like that. Um, So again, those were like my college years, and then as I began to grow in ministry, and now that I have a full-time job in ministry, my job with teenagers is to make sure that they are doing this stuff as well, and to make sure that they have an encounter with the living spirit of God, who Jesus is, who God really is, and to help them sift out the lies spoken about God, the lies in their head about God that are keeping them away from who God is, and to help them recognize, like, especially when I go on retreats with the girls, um, you know, I work a lot with all girls, and I take these girls on retreat, and at one point in the retreat, they're like, all we do is, like, talk and eat and hang out and we don't have our phones and I was like this is the gospel like Jesus like if you could count I wish someone would do this you know apparently you know do not be afraid is written at least 365 times in the Bible to signify each day of the year but I want someone to count how many times Jesus says or has a meal with someone Like, Jesus' whole life was like, hey, you want to grab something to eat and talk about your life? Hey, you want to grab something to eat and share life together? That's what Jesus did. And it was after he died that we had to keep his remembrance alive through the sacraments. And they're a beautiful thing, and I'm not going to go into what all the sacraments mean open up your 5th grade ccd book just kidding i don't i couldn't even tell you i'd have to research that before i actually did it but this beautiful thing that jesus was so human he was so human and he wasn't like these weird people at church he wasn't like these weird people who were whatever like i said he came into this world to uproot the corrupted influence that these people thought that they were worshiping God right. And I'm going to get into that. I'm not going to waste any more time. I've been babbling a lot. So again, people have this corrupted influence about how how God really acted in the world. And And one thing that I didn't realize until this year was that. And the statement in the gospels a lot is like well you see the pharisees do this and you see the pharisees do that and i'm like who the hell are the pharisees like <laughs> we need to go back to the to home plate and and start there and you know wind up the pitch like what who are the pharisees start start over i need to hit the home run after i know who the pharisees are the pharisees were these people who had this corrupted influence about god and one of the scriptures about the pharisees let's say okay okay let's go back for a minute that was really embarrassing don't call that out (laughs) the pharisees had a corrupted influence for this reason they said in their words that god is the center of my life god is the focus of every decision i make but they didn't have an intimate relationship with god they didn't talk to God about what was going on in their life. They didn't wrestle with God. They preached it. They screamed it from the rooftops. They said, Do this, these are the commandments, whatever. But they their hearts were far from their God. And they spoke about the power of God, but they often denied it in their own life. Like they were like, God can give you miracles. And in their own time, they would be like, God's not giving me miracles and they a lot of their um relation quote unquote relationship you know first they un- they were un- they had unbelief in the power of god but they worshiped um what they did not how they were inside um in their heart there's you know it's the same thing with human relationships if you know someone on an intimate level you're connected with them through the heart and maybe even the soul But if you just know someone on the surface level, it's a very outward relationship. They don't really have a piece of your heart. They don't really know you in an intimate way. They just know that you're a good person. You check boxes and you stand for good values. But they don't really know you. So they like knew God. They were like, no, yeah, God. But they didn't know the heart of the Father. That this God would throw over mountains and leave 99 people to go get the one that ran away because he was just as if not more important, and stuff like that. So they were they were so worried about being correct, being politically correct, being right, instead of embodying the love with God that should exist. A term for this, um, which I was guilty of, thankfully, by the grace of God, and that's a phrase that's often overused, I have removed it out of my life because god was like we're done with this but it's a term called legalism everyone should know it in the archdiocese of Philly. legalism it's also called self-righteousness but legalism is that your effort to find acceptance with god or others is on the basis of conforming to a set of rules practices or teaching So basically, you know, if you fall into legalism, if you think you deserve a miracle or you deserve something from God because, well, I've slaves for him all these years and I've been here the whole time and I've worked for him all these years, we judge someone being less worthy than us of being loved by God because we do more for more for God than they do you know it's not fair that they get miracles like I've I go to church every Sunday why does this person get to be so special with God um this is legalism this is self-righteousness and this is like the sin that I kind of saw growing up in the church and if you're struggling with this I just pause and I pray that you know the Lord's mercy. That you and, and if you're not struggling with this and you know people who are like this, the truth is, whether you've been worshiping God your whole life or not, you're still deserving of a miracle. And that's the beauty of God. And it takes a lot for people to be able to say that because... That's what's so beautiful about my life is that people will look at me and they'll be like, "Well, you've loved God your whole life, like you deserve miracles and you deserve to have the podcast and you deserve to whatever." And it's like, "No, like you deserve just as many miracles too. Like you're the same, you're the same kind of human. Like we're not different species. Like you're human, God loves you. Like that's how it works. You're his creation and again, it's this form of what I do for God will make him love me." I got to read all the books, I got to pray the rosary every day, I got to do all these things. Again, it's an obligation, it's not a desire, and I bet you $10 that all of you know the some relationships in your life that are obligatory and not a desire, and that's, that is like no way to live, and I had to uproot that in my life. I had to know where I was being legalistic, where I was being self-righteous, take a break from those parts of my life where I was doing that, and really focus on the relationship with God, like if all right God if you if you're real that what I do for you does not merit my love for you then I'm taking a break from all this stuff and I'm not doing anything and in that moment I just felt God was like good share your life with me have a meal with me take a nap Shannon you never take naps like the God who knows all my needs and and in the scriptures this is in Mark chapter 7 This is one of my favorite gospel passages, and I say that about all of them. That really is like an introduction to Jesus' beautiful personality, because they were getting ready to eat. There it is, eating, again, sharing meals. He's just so human. And there was this phrase, you know, called eating with defiled hands that is without washing them. So it was this ritual that you couldn't eat food unless your hands were clean. And Jesus starts digging in. He didn't wash his hands. He's a little savage caveman and he's just going for it. And the Pharisees asked him, why are you and your disciples not living according to this tradition of the elders? Why Why are you eating with your defiled hands? And it's just like... You know, Jesus probably like held back from rolling his eyes. But he said, um, Jesus said, it was the same thing Isaiah said said to you about you hypocrites. So in that moment, Jesus calls the Pharisees the hypocrites. He's calling out the fact that you speak about this God who is your whole life being, but you're really far from his heart because you would know that my God don't care if my hands are washed or not. And Jesus says, you guys are hypocrites. You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. In your own vein and pride, by your own acts do you worship me. You teach with human precepts as doctrine. You know, your general rule to regulate your quote unquote good behavior is that you practice what you preach kind of thing. Whereas God's like, it's not about ritual actions that make you pure before God. This this concept that Jesus brought Right in that moment, the true understanding of what purity is with God. Purity versus impurity is in the heart. It's the condition of your heart. What is your heart saying? What's your intentions, etc.? And that's really where the gift of having an encounter with God in Jesus took place. Because for the first time, Jesus called out this corrupted influence of the Pharisees. And he was like, this is not ritual purity ritual purity is that god's really aware of everything going on in my life and we've talked about it and he's working on it and we gonna check in later but i'm gonna eat right now and it's not it's not this like i need to do 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 But there's a lot in our hearts that need to be brought to God. And this is the central message of Jesus, is I can heal your hardened heart. I can heal your stiff-necked heart. And I've actually been talking to a lot of people who have been married um, for about 10 to 20 years. Um, Again, people who have fallen away from the church, so I often wonder if that plays a part in it. because Because of what I'm about to say, but... You know, people who have been married, they say seven or more years, they get to this place where their hearts are hardened. You know they don't have that honeymoon feeling anymore. They don't have that like beautiful intimacy that they thought that w- they would had because they realize it's not just there. They have to work on it. And Jesus explains that these sinful behaviors that we have come from our hearts. We believe pride's going to make us happy. We believe self righteousness and legalism is going to make us happy. And when the Bible speaks of the heart, it's talking about the core of the person, the deepest center of who you are, the place where your thoughts and actions arise and god wants to have a relationship with us so he can penetrate your heart so much that it becomes the center that you can connect with it that you can hear it that you can understand your emotions are okay and that your emotions are trying to tell you something and if it's a negative emotion god wants to heal it and he wants to talk to you about it and you don't have to repress it you don't have to smoke weed you don't have to drink alcohol like this is this is what sin does to us because we think this thing's going to make us happy but after enough time it's hardening our hearts and that's basically what Jesus had to point out to the the Pharisees. And he was like, you're literally hardening your own heart by doing this stuff. Like, can't you just share a meal? So another thing that the Pharisees fall into is this, like, condemning judgmentalism. They look for ways to condemn others. They look for ways to judge others. And this happens a lot in the pews on Sunday. And unfortunately, I'm guilty of it. And I have to filter myself and, you know... That whole, like, you don't know someone until you've walked in their shoes. Like, I don't know people. I can't make judgments. But this, we've all been there where the church people, like, look for reasons to condemn you or to judge you. It's it's not about that. Again, something you need to pray with, something you need to address with God, something you need to repent and go to confession for. Um, Get it off your back. Like, no one wants to be like that. And after we do it, we're like, why am I like this? And again, like, the more you keep doing it, the more you can't get away from it. So if you just keep catch, Even if you can catch it every time you do it, you're making progress. So just, like, be aware of that. Another thing that was corrupted about the Pharisees' influence was that their, again, like, their identity and their own personal value came from what they did for God. Um, and Jesus even says this, like, be aware of the hypocr- hypocrisy of other people. Um, that's in chapter 12 of Luke. So these people are, who are hypocrites they'll act and perform for god but their hearts their center their core is so hardened and they're really far away from god so we've all been there like we've been to the parishes where people preach about god and they're not you're like oh you're saying all this about god like i don't see that in you who you are or whatever so this is just really where we need to look in our own lives and understand where we where have we been wounded by the church where have we been wounded by church people And do we understand that this isn't actually who God is? And if we can keep thinking about that every day for a month, we will look at the church differently. I'm telling you, it takes 28 days to form a habit. Give yourself a month to really think and pray about all this. You will have a better relationship with the church. And I do believe there is a parish out there that will meet everyone's needs. And unfortunately, if you haven't found that, keep looking. But if you... Here's the other analogy I want to use. If you think, you know, why do I have to go to church on Sunday? I can just pray to God in my bedroom. If you think that way, this is this is kind of the analogy metaphor I want to use. Um when my grandpa was getting older and he was really sick and he lived alone, you know, something that came up a lot was, you know, did you visit grandpa this week? Did you visit grandpa this week? It was just something in my heart that I knew was the right thing to do. Like, just go stop over for 20 minutes and have a Snickers with him. Like, just go do it. Just go do it. And there were times that I didn't, like, I didn't follow through. There were times that I didn't do that. There were times that I just would have rather gone shopping or not been with my grandpa. And he knows that because he's listening to me right now. God rest his soul. But it always was in my head, like... It's better to go see him than to just think about him right now. It's better to go be in his presence, even if we don't say anything, even if we watch a 20-minute show, that I'm just there because he wants his granddaughter there. Like, he wants to see me, and he would always say, like, I want to see you before I die. Like, I want to have memories with you before I die. Like, I want to spend time with you before I die. And, like, it became this, you know, topic in my big family where, like, it felt more like an obligation for all of us than a desire because... All we were were just saying, like, did we check this box and visit Grandpa? Did we do that? Did we do that? And it was like, but the desire of his heart was that we were just close with him, that we were just with him, that we were just spending time with him, and maybe it opened the door for a conversation, or maybe it opened up a great way to connect with each other because we were there we were present with each other and it didn't have to be long it didn't have to be outdrawn and we were there because that's what he wanted that was his desire and we learned after every encounter with him that it became our desire too but it was just the hesitancy and the tension of trying to get there because you know, it's always a battlefield to get to where you're meant to be at that moment, especially if it's a really good thing. Like, there's always something better to do. There's always a Starbucks drive-through you can go through. There's a store you can buy your groceries at. There's a book you can be reading, but we all know in the back of our head that we should show up and we should be there. And that's the analogy with God. Like, We know he wants to spend time with us, and I'm sure he knows that the people in his church are very wounded and they aren't going to be a good teacher for you, but that's where he trains us. That's where he gets us to know who he is and who we are and that no one else is going to get in the way of that because we have to learn how to fight that off. And if we can overcome this corrupt influence of other people, this manipulative influence of other people in the church, we have to look at ourselves as well. So a couple of the things that we can ask ourselves is, Do you tend to reject or doubt spiritual manifestations or experiences as coming from God? And why? You know, if the answer is, you know, sometimes or, yeah, actually I do. Or, no, not really. You know, why? And answer that question. Or, like, if you're sitting at church and you hear these stories of people's faith, like, are you suspicious of that person? Like, what goes through your head? Are you judging them? Are you suspicious? And why? Like, what... Why do you tend to be that way? Are you the person who's condemning others and their viewpoint and, and trying not to make truth with them through the conversations? You know, why or why not? Um, do you have really strong feelings of guilt when you think you can never measure up to God's standards of life? Because everything I've said so far about Jesus is that he just wants to share meals with you and touch your heart and make sure that you know you're loved. like. You don't have to do anything to measure up to the Lord's standards because once you have a relationship with him, everything about his commandments makes sense. And the commandments get such a bad rep because of the word and sin gets a bad rep because of the word, but if you actually go through what each commandment is, it's it's protecting you in your it's giving you boundaries. And like no one realizes that. It's giving you so much boundary of life to protect your heart, to protect your relationships. And, you know, a lot of these behaviors that are in the commandments are actually against the law. So, like, we believe the political stuff, but we won't believe that it's God's law. There's just a lot of weird, corrupt, toxic influence that we are so not aware that we're doing that God's really gentle with us. And he's like, hey, like, you know, you believe in all these politics of the law, but, like, Mine kind of say the same thing. They're just in a different wording or whatever. And and that's where we have to acknowledge like, okay, yeah, that's actually true. Um, and then you have to look at yourself and be able to say like, am I also someone who sits in the pew and sees what's wrong with other people and sees what's wrong with other churches, but not focusing what's right? Are you focusing on what's right? Because if you can think of three to four to five things that God has done for you and what the church has done for you or what you know what good memories have done for you you know something about the brain is we have to train it to want to be positive and we have to train our brains to have these positive experiences with God and if we can think and really dwell and talk so greatly about the things that have gone right in our relationship with God we start to focus on those that's another tactic with, like, marriage therapy is they'll They'll tell you, like, okay, like, you can tell me all the things wrong. We can play devil's advocate, but, like, tell me what the person does right, and let's focus on that for a week. And that's a beautiful way to restore a relationship. And, again, it's not any different with God. Um, and that's where we have to ask ourselves, like, are we just comfortable, and are we really growing in ways with our spirituality or our relationship with God? And, again, I know... I know the church doesn't offer a lot when it comes to growing in your faith, but if you can just find a few programs here and there, follow a bunch of things on social media so that when they come up, make the decision to just go and to be able to know, like, this is this could help me in my relationship with God and I'm going to take advantage of it. And you don't have to worry about showing up worthy. You don't have to show show up worrying about, like, am I perfect enough to be sitting here? Like forget that like that's not what it's about that's not why you're there because just like you go to the doctor when you're already sick you can go to the church when you're already imperfect which god never expected you to be perfect you have to forgive yourself for thinking that you have to be perfect for god because god knew you would never be perfect that's why he sent you his son who is perfect to show you that you can receive the love of a perfect god without intimidation and, and you know, these are the things that are happening in every church. And I didn't want to single out the Diocese of Philly. But again, like I speak from experience. I speak from like, this is what I know. And this is what I've seen. And I know that you've seen it. And I know that you know it as well. And I know for a lot of young people listening, your parents have not shown you who God is. And, you know, if we're called to call God our father, but your father in your real life you don't have a good relationship with, you know, it's it's these really hard situations. And even the Catechism of the Catholic Church says that most people's inner voice is their parents. And we have to train our conscience to the goodness and the beauty and the love of who God is because nine times out of ten your conscience is your parents or the person you're dating or the person you're married to. But rarely do people have a conscience with who who God really is and even people who are in the faith will admit like that's something we have to think about all the time because we are tending to like people please people because we want to get people in the church or we're trying to do stuff that only we think quote-unquote people will like and you know it's stuff like that where we're not open to having these conversations even hard conversations where we're just like oh like this is just how I've always been taught. This is what my parents said, and I assume the church hates me because of this, and I assume the church would never welcome me because of that, but we never actually realistically and in reality go back to the church and find out what happens or work on our relationship with God to see you know, what that's really like, and we can just live in a state of fear. We can just live in this state of corruption. We can live in this just really awful state of being a servant and it really comes back to that legalism like you ask your like a servant a someone who serves god is someone who's like i love god so much that i want to do everything for him like a man who decides i could be single and i could live this bachelor life and i could do whatever i want but i've met this girl and i'm in love with her and i just lay down my life to be able to do more of what makes her happy You know, if people got married because they had to perform tasks and check boxes for each other, this is why people are getting divorced, because they feel more of that servant than they felt, that intimacy of the relationship. And you think that you have to earn this person's love, or be able to spend time with them, or quality time with them, or better yet, like, be in the bedroom with them if you didn't, like, earn favor through all the service and the things you performed that day. And I hate when couples say that, and I hate when I hear that, because that's not... That's not marriage. Like that's just that's just a weird and manipulative power trip. Like that's not that's not marriage by definition. Or you think maybe you think communication with God is one way and I don't I don't get to share my heart with God because I have to listen to him. I have to hear what he says. I have to do everything that he does where communication is two ways and you know, it's often said like when we pray to God, God doesn't change the outcome he changes us and that's what happens in really hard conversations is like most of the times we're not going to change people's minds we're not going to change people's opinions we're not going to change the other person but we get to this agreement where I've changed and you've changed and we've come to this conclusion and you're able to just wrestle with it and and get to the truth cuz the analogy is like it's not you against god and you're trying to tackle each other it's like you and God are here trying to talk about it, and the problem is there, and you're looking at it. And, you know, the beautiful thing about being in a relationship with God is God trusts you. And And when you have a relationship with someone you trust, it's really hard to form trust with God. That's where a lot of people have to work on their relationships. But God trusts you, and he's doing things for you because he loves you and he chose you because he didn't need you. Just like parents don't need kids you know, God didn't need human beings. He doesn't have any needs. And he chose us and he loves us and he's never going to stop loving us. And we're not servants who like work really hard for God. We're just his children who are meant to like totally and completely fall in love with life and live it abundantly because that's what he won for us. But a lot of us are just stuck in these fear tactics or fear in this corrupt mindset of what the church really is that We haven't purified our minds, so we can't really purify the way we show up to church, the way we see church, the way way we say the word God, and the way we identify with all of it. Um, So this corrupt influence of the Pharisees is happening in in church doors everywhere. It's happening in our hearts. It's it's fear tactics. It's like a thousand ways to participate in fear, right? Um, And then there's authentic influence, which is, Your identity can be like God's, where you have boundaries with people, you share meals with them, you take time to yourself, you pray to God, you cry to God, you flip tables if you have to make a point about something, and, you know, God shows us his beautiful heart and his amazing personality in Jesus, and unless we read the scriptures, unless we do that stuff on our own and don't expect the church to meet all of our needs in our relationship with God, we're not really going to get far you know, you can't expect, I can't expect someone to tell me what it's like to have a relationship with that person over there. I just have to go do it. And that's something that happens a lot <laughs> with the teenagers. They'll be like, oh, I just I've always wanted to be friends with that person, but I just, I never gotten to, like, meet them or talk to them. And I'm like, we'll go talk to them right now. And they're like, oh, no, I just, I just don't want to do that. Like, I just hear really good things about them, and I'm just going to stay with that. And it's like, oh, okay, whatever. So we live in this fear, this mindset of fear, or, or we live in a political mindset. And and the church is guilty of this, where people have such this political influence, this political mindset, where it's all about what the man can do. And, you know, we say things like, we believe in God, and, and God we trust is on the quarter. But like, I'm the one making all the politics, and I'm the one doing everything. Like, Jesus never spoke about politics. So these people in the church who are making all these points about politics, like, Jesus is like, if you believe in the truth and you stand for the truth, you don't need to make a big scene about it. Like, it's really that simple. And, you know, we acknowledge God, but we live like he's absent. And we say, like, oh, yeah, I believe in God, but... We have no relationship. God's irrelevant to my life. Like, unless He's impacted me, there's no reason to believe in Him. But I'm also not contributing to have that impact in my life. And, or we fall into this deception where you portray yourself as like, God, God bless and, and God's with us, but they live a totally different life. And then there's the people who mock Jesus, they mock who God is. Um, we still have that in the world today. We people, we have people who are manipulating the world. They do evil to achieve a goal, you know, slaughtering hu- human innocent lives and trying to protect your own, and you have personal agenda. Like, all of this existed in Jesus' time, and he taught us how to fight it, and he taught us what a real relationship with God looks like and how to bring that into our church, our place of worship, and that's what we need to focus on as a singular human being. One of the tactics of the enemy is to get you to think about, oh, this is what's wrong with the world. Instead of thinking about, oh, what's wrong with yourself, healing it, moving on with it, growing, forgiving yourself for it, starting over because when that stuff festers in you and you never heal it, you never bring it to the light, it's like cancer to the body. And you're going to go you know, to these really amazing... um, events or hear these people speaking about god but you're going to be so in denial about it because you still have that unhealed wound of resentment or that unhealed wound of grudging towards another person whereas if we forgive that person we forgive ourselves we forgive the institution for failing and we choose to work on ourselves we're going to already make it a better place and we're already going to make it a better thing than it already is and and like i said god wants to work on our hearts Our hearts. Jesus met with people one-on-one. He met with people individually. He only allowed miracles to happen in front of three people, and then he'd be like, please don't tell anyone this happened. He showed up to this woman who was getting water at the well, and she thought that he was this creepy Jewish man who was trying to hit on her, and she was like, you're just another guy, like, whatever, and you know, God doesn't love me because I've had seven husbands, and Jesus is like, no, like, I love you, and you're going to live differently from this point on, and, and she met the real Jesus, not who these people said that he was in his corrupted judgmental anger. She met the real Jesus and who he is, and he wasn't a creeper or a weirdo, and she knew his love, changed her life, and she dramatically like if you read the whole gospel like i'm maybe i'll do a podcast on it like she dramatically changed her life because she received love that she had not gotten from anyone else and we're only going to get that from jesus we're only going to get that from god himself we can't rely on people priests or whoever to do that they can lead us to it and help us think differently to approach it but we, when we have those moments of a real encounter with God, and I don't know when God's going to choose to do that with you. He's going to overwhelm you, and it's going to be pretty loud and clear that it's Him. But He's taking you on that journey to prepare you to get there. And if you've listened to this podcast, you are one step closer to that beautiful faith that you know you're going to live that looks completely different than the people in your life who have wounded you in the ways that you tried to have a relationship with God, you tried to have a relationship with the church, and it didn't work. Heal it. Let's let's choose to be the real Jesuses of the world and totally and completely use our influence in the, uh, the authentic way that Jesus did, and we will only know that if we know him, if we read about him, and we take what he says seriously. It's a relationship so worth having, so worth investing in. So read the gospel stories, keep listening to my podcast, praise God if it helps you. Um, Another book I would recommend is, you know, um, The Lies We Believe About God by William Paul Young. It's a really good one. It's, It's just a way to debunk all the lies we believe about God. There's a lot of books by John Eldridge that are awesome, really talk about the heart of the Father. And you know, start there. Start with the Gospels and start with a few. I definitely read the book, The Lies We Believe About God. That'll really change your perception. And again, it's between you and God. You don't have to hold on to the grudges that the church has given you anymore. And Jesus taught us to forgive 70 times seven times. And sometimes that means that many times in one day. So that's what we do. That's who we are. Beautiful humans beauty, beauty, beautiful. And I'm sorry that you've been wounded by the church. I'm sorry that I, as well as you, have not met many influences who have taught us the heart of Jesus, the heart of the Father, like the heart of who they are as people. Sorry that that's our reality. But Jesus faced it too, and there's hope. So we can't dwell on the sadness too much. Amen? Amen.